So, uh, as I said this morning, we are continuing our At The Movie series and we are speaking, uh, I am speaking on the film uh, Beauty and the Beast. Um, you saw just now the setup to the film, the, the, the point at which we enter the film really, the, the context to that. And we enter the film at a point where there is this beautiful land and it's ruled by a prince. Um, now, you don't actually see this in the film, but uh, the prince, uh, Beast, he's never named. But later on, uh, the guys from Disney went back and actually said that the, the name of the prince was Adam. And so you enter this story in a land, a beautiful land, ruled and governed by Adam. Adam is presented with a choice. And because of his pride, because of selfishness, he actually makes the wrong choice, which has an impact upon the entire land that he rules over. The land is put under a curse. And when that happens, when that choice is made, something changes. You see, it's not just him that is affected, but the whole of his kingdom is taken a step back from the humanity that they were created for. You see, Prince Adam, his, uh, his, his, the, his, his, the people that he works in his castle, they are turned into clocks and candle holders and dusters and pianos and wardrobes, and suddenly they are not what they were created to be originally. And so then they have to learn to live in this middle ground of living under this curse, not being all that they were intended for, and yet learning to function because there was a promise. There was a promise given by the enchantress, the enchantress that said, one day things will be restored. There will be a time when this castle and this land is restored to all that it can be. But until then, you live in this tension. And so we join the characters of Beauty and the Beast, so I th what I think is actually the most uh, challenging time for the characters, because it's in this place between the curse and the promise. And this is the, the first thing I want to talk to you about a little bit, is this place of the curse and the promise, where they are learning to live and learning to exist and be, yet not being all that they are intended to be, learning to find rhythm in the everyday and yet knowing that they are not fulfilling all that they were created for. And you know, uh, I wonder this morning how often and how easy it is to fall into a pattern and rhythm of life where you become like the candlestick holder, where you become like the duster of getting on with life, keeping the castle as it should be, just maintenance mode, and yet forgetting the bigger picture of what you were created for and the promise that you're eventually going to come in to encounter. So this morning we're going to be looking a little bit about what it means to be human, what it means to live out our intention. A few weeks ago, Andy talked about uh, humans having a higher intention, having purpose of knowing God and to be known. Now, for those of you that come to church, you may well recognize the narrative that I've described so far as very much being what we believe to be the, the narrative of humanity. And for those of you who maybe don't come to church that often, maybe it's your first time here today, I would love you to think and reflect on the story, the bigger story that you might be a part of this morning. And so we're looking at that idea of intention. Now, uh, when we uh, think about this, there is a slight diversion that I want to take you on. Um, we are talking about at the movies this morning, and I want to talk to you about another movie just very, very briefly. And it is a movie I have now no doubt you're all excited about, you all have in your diaries, and that is the release of the Emoji Movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, 
I want to talk to you a little moment about emojis. Uh, emojis are these little pictures that you get, uh, you can send in text messages. Uh, emojis are picture graphics, and they were originated in Japan in the late 1990s, and they were for pages. Do you remember pages? Some of you do not know what pages are. I remember pages. And uh, you would send these little pictures over pages. And what happened is that when Apple produced the iPhone, they put an emoji keyboard in the back of the kind of normal text keyboard, and all of a sudden, emojis took off. Uh, they went global. They went worldwide. They were no longer just Japan. And today, we use emojis. We send emojis. Even Facebook now has little emojis that you can post in your, your comments and stuff like that, um, to the point that we now have a movie about emojis. Uh, but did you know, and some of you may be aware, that the emojis that we use aren't necessarily meaning what we are, think that they are meaning. They don't necessarily mean what you think they do. And so I would just want to take you on a little journey through some of the emojis this morning. This is the first one. Now, this is what I like to call the sassy lady emoji. She's got a bit of a hair flip going on. Now, this is not actually intended to be a sassy lady. You will be relieved to know, because I'm sure you've all been looking for this emoji for a, for a good length of time. This is actually the receptionist emoji. So uh, next time you're in need of that, that's her. And this handout actually means, can I help you? So that's kind of, that was the original intention of how can I help you, how can I serve you? The next emoji, you may well be aware of this one, is that you think, or we use this for, a praying emoji, praying hands. This is actually a high five emoji. So when you're sending out a message to someone, I'm sorry you've had such a bad day and you feel awful, high five! You're not actually praying for them. Um, the next emoji, now this one is an interesting one, because I always, I never really got why he has such a massive tear seemingly coming from his nose. Um, this isn't a crying emoji, this is a falling asleep drooling emoji. So next time you see someone dropping off, even this morning, I give you permission to send them this emoji. Um, the final emoji, and perhaps the most loved, ladies and gentlemen, is of course the poo emoji. Now, you can imagine yourselves where you might want to use this, which messages you may send this in. Um, and I'm not about to tell you it's not a poo. It is a poo. Um, it's not chocolate ice cream. This is the poo emoji. However, when this emoji was invented, it didn't actually mean what we may think it means or be used in the context with which we think it might. In Japanese culture, this is actually a symbol for good luck. And so you would say, I hope you have a great time at your job interview. I'm thinking of you. And you would send them this little poo emoji on the end. Now, what has happened is that in Japan, these were created and these were used and they were understood. But the further that they moved away from their creators and went global, actually, they lost their intention. The further something moves away from the purpose that it was created for, the less recognizable it is. And I want to put to you this morning that potentially this is exactly what happened at the beginning of time when we stepped away from our intention with God. Uh, in the first book of the Bible, uh, for those of you who are familiar in the book of Genesis, um, there's this story, and whether you believe it's a literal story or whether you believe it's a kind of metaphor and it's all like a, a lovely fairy story to illustrate something else, it, it doesn't really matter that much because the point is the same. You see, at the beginning of time, we as humans were created and the Spirit of God was breathed into us. That's what we believe. That's If you don't come to church, that's what we, we believe and we hold to. And there's something significant in that. 
There's something significant that says God exists in you, lives in you. You are full of the breath of God and you were created for intimacy with God. A few weeks ago, Andy said that our purpose is to know and be known by God, but not just to know him, have a deep intimacy with him. But of course, God would never force that upon us, and so he had to give us a choice. And so he put the tree of knowledge in the Garden of Eden, and in Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17, it says this, But the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, Except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you will surely die. Now, when um, it says that word, that you will surely die, uh, in, in Genesis, what it actually has is two kind of meanings to it. There's uh, an eventual die, so you will eventually die, Adam does. Um, but there's a secondary meaning to it as well. There is an immediate death that takes place. An immediate death. An immediate stepping away from God, stepping away from our intention. And all of a sudden, rather than this deep intimacy with God, we have this space and this void between God and ourselves. And I wonder, and I don't know, I, it's just a wondering as to whether this void in between us and God, which Jesus later goes on to fill, whether this is the space where hope and faith exist. You see, if we are intimate with God, if we know God inside out, if God is a, is a part of us in the way that we were intended, I don't know how much room for faith and hope there is. And so when we stepped away from God, the purpose of faith and hope really comes into play. So if we uh, carry on reading, um, in Genesis, uh, it says this when humanity falls, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat the fruit and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. She wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were opened and suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden and I hid because I was afraid and I was naked. I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. That intimacy that could have been there, we step away from it. It's huge. And of course, it impacts the whole of our humanity. It impacts all of who we are. Um, it's, it's almost as if, just as in Beauty and the Beast, we, we live this kind of half-life, this tension that we currently exist, created for such intimacy with God, and yet somehow everything just seems to get in the way of that. There's uh, some great verses in 1 Corinthians that, that say a similar thing. Now, just as I read this, and I'm, I'm not trying to push the analogy too far, but interestingly, in Beauty and the Beast, the only way, under this curse, the only way that they can see reality outside is through a mirror and through a looking glass. And these are some really interesting verses. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy only reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will be useless. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything clearly. 
All that I know is now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely just as God knows me completely. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And so there's this kind of language of the incomplete language of living partly, partly seeing, partly grappling with what it means. And in that, the three things that really last, the three things that really maintain our humanity is faith and hope and love. In Hebrews 11, it says, faith is the confidence that what we were hopeful will actually happen. It gives us assurance about the things that we cannot see. Why can't we see them? Because of that distance that we placed in between ourselves and God. And so this morning, I would love to... to um, Remind you, really, of what it means to live with faith and hope and love. Remind you what it means to exist in that tension, yet knowing at the same time that there is an end goal. You see, just like the castle in Beauty and the Beast, they had a promise that they were living to, that things would be restored. These are some verses from Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit. And the fresh crop every month, the leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him. And they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads. And there will be no night there, no need for lamps or the sun, for God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. Then the angel said to me, everything you have heard and seen is trustworthy, and it is true. And so we live and we exist between two trees, between the tree of knowledge and the tree of life, between the curse and the promise. And in this, we try to hold on to our humanity, to cultivate hope and faith. And so I want to ask you, what do you have faith for? How does your hope and your faith play itself out in the everyday? How does the expectancy of what is unseen play out for you? So for example, when you get up in the morning, what do you expect God to do that day? Do you have any expectation of God? Because if I'm really honest with you, I get up in the morning and think, flipping heck, I'm excited about going to bed tonight. What is your expectation of God? When you step into your workplace, when you're with your family, what do you expect God to do? What do you have faith for? When you came to church this morning, what did you expect God to do in this space? Did you have any expectation of him or was this just an appointment in your diary? You see, without faith, we cannot please God. It says that in the Bible. And so we need to be people of faith that in the middle of the curse and the promise, we live out our lives, but keep our eyes lifted up to the bigger picture of what God's doing. Always remembering the story that we were created to be a part of. You see, I think it's so easy to become like the characters in Beauty and the Beast and to kind of be like Chip and Lumiere and all these household objects that just get on with maintenance. Maintenance of the castle, maintenance of keeping things clean, keeping things tidy and as they should be, when actually they were created to be part of a much bigger narrative, if only they would remember and have faith and have hope. So this morning, I guess one of the things I want to say is let's make sure we have expectation of God. 
I would love it if in a year's time when Leon uh, and the team have launched the new building that they are on another building project because the, the building we've made just isn't big enough. Leon's so excited about that prospect. What faith and hope, what expectation do we have for our community? What do we expect God to do there? After Christmas, what are we expecting God to have done in our community that will be present in our church in six months' time? Do you have any expectation of God or do you not ask much of him at all? Because I believe to maintain our humanity, we need hope and we need faith. So that's my first thing. My second thing is uh, a little more personal, I guess. I want to talk to you about the battle for the West Wing because within this larger story in Beauty and the Beast, within this big narrative of the castle and the curse, there's a very personal story that takes place, actually. A really personal story between Beast and Belle. Um, a story that really is summarised and characterised by uh, a rose which is this rose here. And this rose kind of represents Beast's personal struggle um, with this kind of loving people, let him close to him. It's a really intimate thing. And yet it is intrinsically linked to the bigger narrative that they are a part of. And you know, I believe that uh, we maybe have personal situations, hopes, dreams, struggles that we want to protect that we want to keep close to us, that we forget is tied into this bigger story of hope and faith. And actually, we spend a lot of time being very careful of the things that we want to protect because they're close to our hearts. Um, It's really interesting. Uh, The thing that struck me when I watched Beauty and the Beast, uh, the 2017 version, was how he treats this rose, how Beast treats this rose. What he does is he puts it in this protective case, And then he takes it and puts it in the west wing of the castle, the furthest wing where no one else is allowed to go, in the deepest part of it, and he keeps it there away from anyone. And actually, it's been there for so long that he has learned to set up home in that space, protected and kept away from anyone. And what happens throughout the film is that every time a petal falls from the rose, he loses hope and a part of his humanity dies, and he becomes more the beast that he was kind of had the curse inflicted on him. And so what are the things in our lives that we maybe keep close? What are the things that we almost are fearful of letting hope and faith near because they are so precious to us uh, that we feel that they are fragile, to be too fragile to be placed maybe in the hands of God? What is it that is uh, maybe a hope or a dream that you have in your heart? Maybe a situation that you're struggling with and going through. Maybe it's um, something that you're really wrestling to trust God with. Will you let hope and faith into that space? Because actually the two stories that we see here are not separate stories, not by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I wondered really about whether to kind of talk about the personal aspect of this, but there are so many people at the moment that are in my life that I see hurting, that I see wrestling with really big questions, friends who um, are trying for children and don't seem to be getting pregnant, Uh, friends who uh, they just don't know what their future holds and are questioning their purpose, friends who are single and have been single for years and friends who are struggling with unanswered prayer and now don't know quite what to do when they're clinging onto faith by their fingertips because they know deep down inside of them that God is real and God is there but they just can't let them into that west wing because they don't know how. 
And what does it mean to have faith and to have hope in those situations, in the painful situations where every time that something goes wrong in that situation, a petal falls and you feel like hope dies and you take a step further away from the intentionality, the humanity that you were created for, that intimacy with God. It's a really, really tricky question. And I thought maybe the best thing to do would actually be to speak a Bible story and read a Bible story to you this morning. Um, I'm going to read the story in a second. It's from Two Kings. Uh, But in this story, um, it is the story of a prophet called Elisha. And Elisha um, goes through this region quite a lot and and drops in on this woman to visit her and see her house and um, like be looked after by her. And he decides that he wants to give her a gift. And so this uh, is from 2 Kings 4, verses 12 to 23. So he, which is Elisha, said to his servant Gehazi, tell the woman from Shunem I want to speak to her. When she appeared, Elisha said to Gehazi, tell her we appreciate the kind concern you have shown us. What can we do for you? Uh, What can we do for you? Can we put in a good word for you for the king or the commander of the army? No, she replied, my family takes good care of me. Later, Elisha asked Gehazi, what can we do for her? Gehazi replied, she doesn't have a son and her husband is an old man. Call her back again, Elisha told him. When the woman returned, Elisha said to her um, as she stood in the doorway, next year at this time, you will be holding a son in your arms. This is interesting. No, my Lord, she cried. Oh, man of God, don't deceive me and get my hopes up like that. You can see it's something that's been put in the West Wing, kept away from God. There is no room for hope or faith in that space. But be sure enough, the woman soon became pregnant. And at that time, the following year, she had a son, just as Elisha had said. One day, her child was older. He went out uh, to help his father, who was working with the harvesters. Suddenly, he cried out, my head hurts, my head hurts. The father said to one of the servants, carry him home to his mother. So the servant took him home, and his mother held him on her lap. But around noontime, he died. She carried him up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and left him there. She sent a message to her husband, send one of the servants and a donkey so that I can hurry to the man of God and come right back. Why go today, he asked. It's neither a new moon festival or a Sabbath, but she said it will be all right. And so there's this woman who has a hope and a promise, and it feels like the ultimate petal has fallen, and she has a choice as to how she will respond. We don't always know when things are unseen we, and we, we live in fallen humanity. We don't get to always see how things will work out and things don't always work out the way that we want. But she has a choice as to how to respond in that moment. And actually, I love her response. Her response comes in verse 27. When she came to the man of God at the mountain, she fell to the ground before him, caught hold of his feet. Gehazi began to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone. She's deeply troubled, but the Lord has not told me what it is. Then she said, did I ask you for a son, my Lord? Didn't I say, don't deceive me and get my hopes up? Do you know in the moment when her faith is tested, the moment where things are going really badly, when it feels like things are going as badly as they can, she gets to a point where she recognizes that as a human, she wasn't meant to carry this that this is not something that she is capable of carrying on her own. It is not capable of being left in that West Wing because it is destructive. It takes her away from her humanity. And so she leaves it there and she goes to the feet of the man who gave her the promise in the first place. She gets on her knees and said, didn't I tell you not to disappoint me? She takes it straight to God. Well, to Elisha, but in this, into God. 
you know where is the room for hope and faith when things are difficult? I think it depends on how we see faith. I think sometimes we think, oh, we have faith, it's easy. Faith is not easy. But faith, I believe, is the decision you make in the face of the unseen. It's the decision to step back into your humanity and say, do you know what? This gap was created, but I will not lose my humanity in this moment. And that is not an easy thing. There is, a, there is one other character, actually, that I didn't introduce you to, I didn't talk about, and that is this. This is the Enchantress. We meet her at the very beginning of the story. She is the one who sets the story into motion. I guess the Elisha in the story is the equivalent. And it's interesting because what you think happens is that she sets the story into motion and she just steps back and watches it play out and then just turns up right at the end. But what I really enjoyed about the 2017 version of this of Beauty and the Beast is that throughout the film, you see that the Enchantress was never that far away from the narrative all along. You see Belle's dad gets attacked and it's the Enchantress that takes him in, nurses him back to health and takes him home. There's a huge battle in the castle and you see that the Enchantress is stood right in the centre of it. Not acknowledged, not seen, not addressed, but she is always present. You know, when we think about faith and hope and narrative and the bigger narrative that we are a part of, it is so easy to think that it is a narrative that we're playing out on our own and it isn't. Do you know, I believe that God has a narrative for your life and that that narrative, whether it is in the pain of what's in the West Wing or whether it is the expectation that you have in the everyday, that that is a part of the bigger story that God has for humanity and you have a role to play in that. And I believe if you're here this morning and you don't know God and you've not been to church before, then I, I believe that it is, it is so true of you as well, that you have a role to play in this narrative. The key is us clinging on to our humanity between the curse and the promise, keeping our eyes up and remembering the story that we're a part of and living out our part of the story with expectation, with hope and faith that God is doing something, God will do something. And it's when we step into that space that I believe that God will meet us there and we will see this story come around. If the band would like to come up, what I would love to do in a second is um, just pray, but I'm going to ask something a little brave of people first. Um, if you're in a situation where you maybe feel that uh, you just need your eyes lifting again to the bigger story, to the bigger picture of what you're a part of, maybe it's just as simple as being filled with faith and expectation when you wake up in the morning. Having the first thought in your mind to walk into a space and be, what is God doing here? How is God going to use me? Or maybe it's that you're struggling because of hope. And you need faith and hope in that situation, in, in one thing, in, in something that you're really wrestling with. If you feel that you are in need of, I guess, like a reboost in faith and hope this morning, in a second, not right now, but in a second, I'm going to ask you to stand. And what I would love is just if, uh, not to ask you what it is. It could be this big narrative. It could be something that you're really struggling with. I'm just going to ask a few people to pray for you just people around you to pop their hands on your shoulders and pray for you as a sign of support because we live out this story together. So this morning, if you feel that you are in a place of needing to be reminded of the bigger story that you're a part of, of having a fresh wave of hope and faith in your life, maybe in a situation 
maybe in the place that you work, maybe in your home life, then I would love it if you would stand this morning um, so that we can just pray for you. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's brilliant. Thank you so much. If you all sat around these guys, could you just place a hand on them, maybe on their shoulder? Just check that they're comfortable with that before you do. Let's just pray very quickly together. Father, I thank you that you are a part of a big and beautiful story. God, I thank you that we know the ending of these stories. God, I thank you that we know where it's heading. But God, I pray that you would help us to live out the tension in the meantime. What it means to be truly human, to be full of faith and hope as we pursue intimacy with you. God, I pray for the brave men and women that have stood up this morning and God I pray that you would just inject faith and hope into them that Jesus you would give them the courage to maybe open the doors of the west wing and let you let others into that space Father as we fall to your feet God and say this is yours I was never meant to carry this so Father we thank you that you are the one that set the story into motion. God, that you are never far away. And God, let us see our part in the narrative of our community, of our town, of our workplace, of our friends. Use us, Jesus. Amen. Great. If you would like to stand, we're going to go back into a time of worship.